Today, this podcast is being recorded on Awabakal and Waramai land. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and extend our respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. Welcome into the realm of sluts and blood magic, where we work together to remove the taboo around sex, periods and ethical non-monogamy in order to have more fulfilling and pleasurable relationships and lives. I'm your host, Jem Campbell, a dietitian, nutritionist, sexologist, menstrual cycle guide and menstrual blood witch. If you love the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review so we can reach and empower as many sluts as possible. Let's get into this week's episode. Before we get into the episode today, I'd love to tell you all about my latest free resource that you can get access to via the show notes of this episode. It's called a guided meditation for the premenstrual phase of your cycle. And it's basically for anyone who menstruates and has a womb. I created it to support you through what can be sometimes the trickiest phase of our menstrual cycle. So check that out in the show notes. It's completely free. It's just an audio that you can listen to as many times as you like. I hope you find it valuable. Feel free to share it with your friends and loved ones in your community. Hey babes, just a couple of trigger warnings for this episode. We do have some mentions of gender dysphoria, suicide, self-harm and unsafe abortion due to a lack of access to safe abortion care. And to skip this part if it's triggering for you, all you need to do is skip past 20 minutes and 2 seconds to 20 minutes and 59 seconds. In part two of my series with Emily, the period RD, today we are talking all things informed consent in the nutrition space, how nutrition and food are more than just fuel for your body, why sex positivity in the nutrition space is needed, diet culture and the impact of the male gaze, And from 18 minutes and 50 seconds, we talk about pregnancy prevention for trans folks taking testosterone for gender-affirming care. We also chat about hormonal birth control alternatives to avoid pregnancy while taking tea. I hope you enjoy the second episode in this series with Emily. And don't forget to check out all of the links in the show notes. Emily's Instagram is at Emily the period RD, and my Instagram is at the blood slut. And I'm on TikTok too. Let's get into the episode. All right, let's move on to the next question. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like this one. This is fun. Um, yeah. I loved your Instagram post because I obviously had a little read through and <laughs> I. Um, about the need for sex positivity in the nutrition space. No one Mm -hmm. really talks about that. And, yeah, I'd love for you to explain to the listeners why this is so important and what this actually means because I don't think a lot of people see the parallels between or the the intersection, I guess, between nutrition and sex. Um, So can you explain that, please? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It was something that as I was going through more education around sex and sex positivity that I'm like, oh, fuck, these are really similar. And Mm -hmm. I did a case study for one of my uh, courses where I brought a nutrition lens to it. And one of the instructors, who's a really well-known 
um, sexologist has been in Cosmopolitan and um, all, all the, the like, was like, I don't think we've ever in the history of this course have seen somebody do that type of parallel. So I can tell that the work that you're doing is, is super critical to the people you serve fabulous job and I was like shit I need to really look into how these two go together yeah sex positivity as there's more beautiful definitions there's more all-encompassing definitions but for the purposes of kind of communicating a point uh, sex positivity is really unique because it's not just the perspective of sex is good and has positive outcomes regardless and everybody should be having sex um, it's the appreciation that sexuality is normal and humans are sexual beings in a variety of different ways and that we can be positive about this, whether a person chooses to engage in sexual activities or not. Uh, people can self-identify, they can change, they can set boundaries, they can learn and give consent, they can connect with themselves, connect with others, and people are well informed about the risks of engaging in sexual activities and the not so awesome things like STBBIs or sexually transmitted and bloodborne infections um, and pregnancy. So it's this all encompassing piece around here's what this really normal part of your life is. Here's how you can tune into that in a way that feels safe, consensual, enjoyable to you. You can choose what you, you know, decide to engage in. You can decide what you don't want to engage in. Here's some things you should know about sex and sexuality just so that you can make informed decisions for yourself and seeing that process is not a solely negative if you have sex you're going to get pregnant and you're going to die mean girls-esque uh, vibe um, so from a you know when I compared those two things nutrition science as a as a, an aside comes from a really really yucky history of racism and genocide um, a lot of study participants were unable to give informed consent. A significant portion of nutrition recommendations for populations is based off of studies done on students in residential schools. So not able to give informed consent. Um, we look at the history of where fat phobia and racism intersect. Um, you have folks that are unsafe in the environment that they engage in. Uh, they're not going to be able to give informed consent. To say no would be a death sentence. Um, and so that's one element that we need to have this same lens of sex positivity in nutrition, that having the ability to give informed consent and to understand how nutrition can be a really powerful thing for us in many different ways is unbelievably critical and challenging much of the learning we've done about nutrition in the same way we have to challenge what we've learned about sex. Um, mm -hmm. Diet culture has, you know, across mm. decades has hinged on the idea of do as I say, not as I do. Um, and then we watch, you know, the Kardashians put out supplements for, you know, vaginal health and Weight Watchers rebrands for the millionth fucking time um, instead of actually supporting people in making informed, well-rounded and I guess enjoyable choices for themselves when it comes to eating and wellness and nobody gets any discussion around how negative that particular aspect of diet culture is and what they can choose not to engage in. So having this really nice buffet, pun totally intended, of nutrition things that they can engage in. Some people know all of the risks. They are making well-informed choices. They do still choose to diet. Okay, great. You have all the information you need to make that decision. You know how to play it safe. Other folks who very lovingly want to join the anti-diet space, fabulous. Let's talk about pros, cons. Let's talk about how to navigate this space. 
fabulous, awesome. Here's all the different ways you can connect with your food and you connect with others through food. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people can learn how nutrition and wellness are elements of connection with themselves and with others. Food is a great thing for energy and nutrients, but it's more than just fuel. It's birthday parties, it's funerals, it's weddings, it's holidays, it's weekends with friends, it's you just got broken up with. Food is one of the tools we use to be our happy, healthy, sexual selves. And so when we put this lens of sex positivity on nutrition or where we need to put this lens of sex positivity on nutrition is seeing the ability to identify and align with our food choices as this really complex, really nuanced and potentially really positive environment where people are making decisions that feel really good for them and help Mm -hmm. them connect with themselves and others to the extent that really, really turns them on, really suits them. Mm, I love all of that. That that was an incredible explanation. Thank you. (laughs) You are so welcome. Some of those things I hadn't even thought of, like, it's just, it's always been kind of an intuitive thing for me. I think like the link, it's quite obvious in my brain, but I've never thought of some of those things. And I think if I haven't, then of course, like people who aren't dietitians probably haven't, right? Right. And I think- like there's so many intersections, like when you think about body image as well, you know, like so many people diet because they want to look hot in a bikini. They want to look hot in a, everyone looks hot in a bikini. Well, and this is the the so cool, interesting part is that people diet so they can be hot in a bikini. Why do they want to be hot? Because they want to be sexually desired they want to because be, they, they want to fit the male gaze <laughs> they want to fit the male gaze and the male yeah. gaze affects everybody when you get the dude bros on their podcast talking about these females oh. and these women and an alpha male and I'm like you don't you don't see how the idea of the alpha male is also hurting you that you are missing out on this beautiful opportunity to be a whole being and you can be more than being a dude bro you can be more than angry at relationships you can be more than angry at your job you can be you know you can have hobbies you can have interests you can do a lot of different things and you can meet people that fit who you want to be with um and 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 where where the two come together is exactly that that we do things because we want to connect with people i find for a lot of folks the root of all of the and this is where i get like really really hippie about it, really radical with it, Mm -hmm. is that we do things because we're human and humans like to connect with people. We're a social species. We we want to be welcomed. We want to be safe. We want to be secure in our bodies, in our relationships. And we will do absolutely anything to make sure we have connection and we get it in the most uncomfortable way. Because let's be honest, Meeting new humans and trying to make new relationships is awkward. There's the risk of being embarrassed, feeling ashamed. We we don't feel comfortable. We are, we're out of our element. We want to skip that process as quickly as possible. We're not good at feeling difficult emotions. Hence why big feelings and gentle parenting is so important as a, how can we take care of ourselves in the lens of, okay, <laughs> I am not good at these big feelings. How can I coach myself through these? When we talk about, um, you know, nutrition within where that body image piece comes in, where sex and body image comes in, of course, we would behave in really fucked up ways 
for the purposes of getting connection, for the purposes of getting security, safety, comfort, we need to have both of those areas be similar in that we can teach people how to connect with themselves, with other people, without feeling like they have to earn it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because, you know, if you want to eat the whole bag of chips, just fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) you know like obviously we don't want to be binge eating but you know like I I get upset when people are like oh I can't eat this bag of chips that I'm really enjoying because I want to look skinny on my date tomorrow night I don't want to be like Mm -hmm. bloated or I want to you know I'm starving myself today because Mm -hmm. I want to look hot on this date tomorrow or I know I'm having sex with someone or whatever Mm -hmm. it is you know I'm like so many people do that like think of all the models you know going out on the runways these skinny little models oh God, who are yeah. almost passing out and thinking that's normal to almost pass out on the runway mm-hmm. because that's what everyone else is doing they absolutely think it's normal. yeah it's really and it, it comes from this kind of multi-pronged approach that we have to teach the individual that you don't have to do those things to be a, a sexy happy healthy person and we need to change the way we teach individuals through, yeah, challenging the male gaze, challenging um, capitalism around buy this, buy this, buy this, and the patriarchy around, okay, uh, folks assigned female at birth that your job is to be this type of person. If we challenge a lot of those narratives now down the pipeline, those folks across the board, whether they're assigned male or female or somewhere in the middle or somewhere other than that, um, at birth, because again, human biology is fucking wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's awesome. Uh, we're teaching them that you you are more than your body. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And if somebody only wants you for your body, that's probably not a relationship you should get into. That's probably somebody you're going to end up talking to your therapist about. Literally. So you want to save yourself some bills in therapy, because fucking therapy is expensive. And I hate that for people. Mm. Oh, yeah, um, we need more accessible therapy. Um, you could save yourself a lot of grief and a lot of uh, money by unlearning the idea that you equal your body. Yes. 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 Um, I was, oh, I was going to say something and it's gone. What was I going to say? No, it's gone. All right. Next question. I'm not getting that one back. <laughs> It'll come back. Bye. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So we're jumping to something a little different here. This is a bit of a like, you know, whatever kind of episode. Um, mm-hmm. Pregnancy prevention for trans folks, taking testosterone. I really liked your post on this. I found it really niche and really cool um, because I haven't seen anyone else talk about it. So, and I have, yeah, lots of the things you post, I'm like, damn, I've not seen anyone else talk about this stuff on here. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, so I'd love to unpack this topic. How can trans and non-binary folks taking T prevent pregnancy? So T is just testosterone. Mm-hmm. Prevent pregnancy and why is it so important that they're educated in this area? Absolutely. I like to preface this one with not everybody is desiring or capable of pregnancy. And this is okay. And so for some folks that are taking T, they might decide pregnancy is something they want. And for other folks, whether they take tea or not, they might be have they might have zero interest in creating crotch fruit, like none, no thank you. Um, for folks taking tea as part of gender affirming care, um, the 
potential for becoming pregnant can exacerbate gender dysphoria and increase the risks of self-harm and suicide. We have to say it. Uh, gender dysphoria is deadly for some folks. Um, mm -hmm. Not to mention when a person is pregnant and they don't want to be and they potentially cannot access safe abortion care, we have an increased risk of what are called precarious birth situations. So both the birthing person and a fetus are at risk. So giving birth into a toilet um, or behind a building in a dumpster and having no follow-up or support afterwards and any of the other places that humans can and have given birth. Um, when we don't have adequate resources or education for those folks, the risks are huge. And that's a big no-no. Um, and pregnancy is not a health neutral event. Um, and knowing how to prevent pregnancy when it's not desired is really critical to keeping people healthy and alive. Um, for some folks, when they're taking tea, they may also use hormonal birth control options, whether that's part of their treatment or it's separate from um, their affirming care. Um, and so something that's really important um, is keeping on track with taking medications regularly. So setting up any alarms if a person is what I call neurospicy um, mm -hmm. or neurodivergent. So all of my ADHD, ASD, OCD, all my D babes out there, um, timers and alarms and reminders are super, super important um, so that you're not missing doses if that means a person is taking birth control continuously, as an example. So there's no breaks, there's no bleeds. Um, that they're really making sure that there's no missed doses. We're definitely preventing pregnancy on that front. I even sometimes like to suggest tracking cycles for a period of time, even if a person is continuously taking birth control, because it can sometimes identify possible signs of accidental ovulation, where the body ovulated despite the whole thing. We get those rare cases of you know, the super sperm that happened to get into the body and despite birth control being present, a pregnancy still occurred. Um, so we notice, okay, when are periods lightening? When have they stopped officially? It can be both a pregnancy preventing tool and a way to make sure that if a person is getting periods suddenly or was getting some periods and they've stopped, that they can access abortion care should they need it. And it's faster. So there's not these big delays that leave them feeling even more dysphoric. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also a really big advocate for barrier methods. And I like to use an all encompassing term for barrier barriers, uh, condoms, dental dams, gloves, uh, toys, instead of penetration by genitals, outer course as well, mm -hmm. are really great strategies for folks who don't or are unable to use other forms of birth control. And they give a person additional protection if they have multiple sexual partners and they aren't sure of everybody's status. That's a separate component of having conversations with all partners around how regularly are we doing STBBI testing and how many other partners are involved so that we know what our best health looks like while also making sure that we have really good boundaries in place. Mm -hmm. Some people may choose to undergo surgical transitions and that may or may not also be a pregnancy prevention tool, right? If we've removed the uterus and potentially the ovaries, there ain't no oven to put the bun in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that can be a more intensive procedure for some folks um, and not everybody chooses it. And that's fine and okay. Um, it can be a pregnancy prevention method. Um, whereas for other folks, 
that do not have a, a uterus or ovaries at birth, that that component of them preventing pregnancy for themselves is pretty standard. They don't have the parts to run that software. There's no hardware present. So on that perspective, we might just be assisting that person and having a really fun sex life and also staying safe. Um, so mm -hmm. generally speaking, it can often be a combination of where do we use hormones as part of gender affirming care that also can suppress ovulation and prevent pregnancy and other barriers or procedures that just remove the option for in, you know, um, insemination to occur. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for that. I think that'll be really valuable for some of our trans listeners. Um, yeah, I honestly didn't know much about that stuff. So that's really interesting and really important that more of us are talking about it, I think, as well. Absolutely. Is it, Absolutely. Um, is it accessible? Like, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but say if, um, you know, a trans person has started taking tea and they want to prevent pregnancy, they don't maybe want to be on birth control, maybe they have, you know, adverse reactions to hormonal contraception. Mm -hmm. um, is it relatively, I'm sure it's not easy, but is it relatively accessible for them to have a surgery to get their uterus removed? Ooh, that would really depend on where they live okay, and what resources are accessible to them. Mm. Um, because, and I did a uh, conversation about weight stigma in the medical system uh, not too long ago, um, for some bodies, stupid fucking BMI guidelines <clears throat> may, yeah, gag, uh, mm. and not even in a good way, um, prevent people from getting the surgery that they desire slash need. Mm -hmm. um, and some providers, depending again on where a person is and how long they've maybe known the provider for, may not offer or give referrals for a surgery if something's not clinically indicated. Mm -hmm. um, so there can be situations where a person says, I am transitioning, I would like to transition. I have zero interest in a pregnancy. We might take out all the storage bits, if you will, and we might mm -hmm. keep the ovaries for the hormones. Mm -hmm. um, and a, a, a provider might be like, dope, I will put a referral in and we'll see what we can do. Mm -hmm. um, and there's lots of um, different resources that help folks kind of have those conversations with their providers around this is what I'm looking for. What's, you know, if this is going to go through, what's my average wait time? So we can really think about what other management might we need to do in the meantime, right? If mm -hmm. someone's looking at about a year before they mm -hmm. can get, you know, into a surgery, yep. okay, that's a year worth of potential pregnancy. Mm -hmm. What can we do in the meantime to make sure that that person is safe and healthy? Um, and then when we get to that year mark, okay, cool. How do we prep them for surgery, post-op, all that stuff? Mm -hmm. um, so the the short answer would be that it would kind of depend um, mm -hmm. and that it can be a tricky conversation because some providers are newer to the idea of gender-affirming care, especially if yeah. they've been trained really, really um, old, the olden days <laughs> of medicine, um, that they just cannot conceptualize outside mm -hmm. of kind of what they've um, learned. And yeah. that's, you know, 
both fault of their own and no fault of their own, right? They're trained in a system that didn't teach them how to be empathetic fucking human beings. But it's called doing refreshing courses. Exactly. Refreshes are very important. Providers are required to complete so many continuing education units every year. Literally. Do it. Exactly. Do it. It is worth it and you can put it on your taxes usually. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Done. Don't have to fucking pay for it. Just do it and get over it. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Blood Slut. We've got Emily back on the podcast again next week to talk all things heavy periods and some other shit that I honestly can't remember right now for the life of me. I'm very tired, as you can tell. Uh, I just thought I'd do a quick life update because why the fuck not? Oh, fuck. I've just moved to Coffs Harbour about a week ago and I'm really exhausted. I had to come back to Newcastle for um therapy and a doctor's appointment that i ended up doing telehealth anyway (laughs) but the main reason i actually came back was to catch up with my best friend ace who you've heard on the podcast before because they are up visiting from melbourne at the moment and yeah it's been a real vibe we camped for a couple of days together in a forest and i've honestly just been surviving i have been migraining I have been feeling like poopy. I've been anxious. I've been confused, disoriented, dissociated, all the things because change is scary, especially when you're autistic. And I am almost 100% certain I'm autistic, um, which I don't think I've spoken about on here before, but I'm getting an assessment hopefully in the next few months. So I'll keep you all updated on that. <laughs> um, so, yes, Lay! is my stim word at the moment and I'm saying it like at least 100 times a day and it's really fucking annoying so if I say that a lot in the podcast over the next few weeks I'm sorry in advance I know it's annoying I can't help it it makes me happy kind of okay so remember if you have any questions any concerns any feedback any stories you'd like to share with me then you know where to find me bitch you can find me at the Blood Slut on Instagram and TikTok. You can also find me on Facebook. My name is Gem Gem. You can add me as a friend. And you can also join the Blood Slut Community Facebook page. It's literally just called Blood Slut Community. So just search that on Facebook and you will find us. And you just have to fill out a few little questions. And then I will accept you and you are in. I'm hosting a free event in a few weeks so make sure you join that group so that you know what's going on also make sure that you join my email list and you can do that via the link in the show notes just click the website link and it will take you to my website where you can subscribe to join my email community so that you can stay in the loop and you'll also hear a lot about my life and I also just send a lot of fucking like random like introspective thoughts that I have and I don't know it's a pretty cool place to be so I might catch you there uh you can also email me gem at I'm aware (laughs) oh I can't talk I'm very sleep deprived gem at I'm a wild gem.com I've had this fucked like itch since September last year I was taking preventative fluconazole which is the medication used to get rid of thrush vaginal thrush 
and I was on it on and off for many, many years due to chronic recurrent thrush episodes and unfortunately I started reacting badly to the medication and now my poussoir be itching and I also have vulval dermatitis so that's fun um, but I started getting this allergic reaction to things that I used to never be allergic to due to the long-term use of this medication and so now like I'm literally just so fucking itchy and I couldn't sleep last night but I got steroids from my doctor today so hopefully that helps um, that's not a sleigh so yeah I will catch you next week bye